Amazing. I'd love to start off our time this morning, church, with a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great and amazing love for us, that you would turn your eyes and face towards us, Lord. Thank you that you are our joy, our hope, and our salvation. Thank you that in all of our comings and goings and all of the things that we set our minds to and put our hands to over the course of the day, over the course of the week, over the course of our lives, Lord, knowing that you are with us, knowing that for those who have believed and put our trust and faith and hope in you, Jesus, you are for us, that you adore us. That's just amazing to think about. That we are the subject of your adoration, Lord. Uh, that you, you, your smile is upon us constantly. Lord, we, uh, we come into this place and into this space and into this season. Um, and we put our hope and trust in you. That even though the world around us and our circumstances might be a bit chaotic. Uh, it certainly, life certainly doesn't look like how we thought it was going to look. Uh, our plans don't, aren't working out the way we thought it would. And yet, in the midst of uncertainty, we choose faith. In the midst of, of seasons and times when things just aren't working out the way anyone anticipated they would, God, these are the times when you shine brightest. And Lord, we thank you for the joy and privilege we have of being able to come into your presence, God, and to experience the fullness, the full stability of who you are. To know that you are steadfast. You are the rock upon which our feet are planted. And God, you are the source of our hope, our faith, and our life. We love you so much and we want to give you this time. We pray that your spirit would move in each of us, God. That we're not dependent on technology. We're not dependent on any person. We're not dependent on any government. God, we want to hold steadfast, hold uh, wholeheartedly cling to you, Jesus. And we pray that you would be our source of encouragement. You would be our source of joy. And you would refresh our hearts and teach us from your word this morning. We love you. We thank you. And uh, we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who... Uh, are tuning in and maybe aren't as familiar with our church. My name is Frank. I am one of the pastors here at Awaken, and it is a joy and it's a privilege to be able to share with you all today. Uh, some of you might have heard uh, that this past week I had the chance to celebrate my 40th birthday, and which is really exciting for me. And a couple of days before my birthday, I actually got myself a, uh, a little birthday present. Uh, give you a bit of insight into who I am, I guess. So I downloaded this app onto my phone. It was a free app. I just downloaded it as a gift to myself called We Croak. Uh, it's probably an app that none of you have ever heard of, and I'm sure none of you have ever downloaded. If you have, you need to put it on that comment section because I will circle back around on that story. But uh, We Croak is the name of the app, and it's an app that's designed to remind you um, at random times during the day that you are going to die. 
So I don't know what prompted that in me. I just wanted to have that on my phone as an experiment. And so five times a day, at random times during the day, over the course of the past five days, I've been getting this message on my phone and on my watch that says literally these words, don't forget you're going to die. Click for a quote. Right? And then if you click on it, you're going to get a, a quote about death. And the basis of this app from the person who created it was this Bhutanese saying um, that said, contemplating death five times daily brings happiness. So let me share with you a couple of the times that this app popped up and told me, don't forget, you're going to die. The first time it happened, I was eating lunch, so I downloaded it in the morning. I was eating lunch, and it says, don't forget, you're going to die. Click for a quote. I happened to be eating lunch. I happened to be eating a Big Mac at the time, so I thought that was very appropriate to be reminded of that. Uh, later on, a couple days later, it reminded me multiple times on my birthday, don't forget, you're going to die, which I also think fair, I'm a year older, I'm a year closer to death, so sure, I will take that time to meditate on that idea. Uh, while our family was watching Shawshank Redemption, it popped up as well, and I'm like, okay, kind of fitting along with the theme of, of the movie, so that was probably pretty appropriate as well, and then multiple times as I was preparing for this sermon. And again, the idea behind this app, and what was really fascinating for me is I just, every time it pops up on my phone, I just kind of take a moment and meditate on that idea, and then I move on. Sometimes I click it for the quote, and they're always pretty good, but the idea for me is I wanted to be, uh, maybe this season has affected me, I just wanted to be contemplating um, just what life means for me in this time and in this moment. And to think about the transiency of life, that thinking about what might happen in the future should give me some perspective on today. And I appreciate the perspective I've gotten, even the momentary perspective that I've gotten each time I get a chance to read it. Over the course of the past few weeks here at Awaken, we've been in the middle of a series that we've entitled Enduring Hope. It's only been a three-week-long series, but a lot of that is dictated by the fact that we've been going through the book of 2 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians only has three chapters. You guessed it. And so um, the challenge as we've been going through this series is to meditate on and ponder the, the problems and challenges that the church in Thessaloniki was facing. And so when Paul writes this letter, 2 Thessalonians, it was written actually not very long after he sent them first Thessalonians. And the reason why he writes 2 Thessalonians is the problems he wrote about in his earlier letter have only gotten worse. Uh, persecution has increased. There's increased confusion about Jesus and the day of his return. And there are some bad habits the church has gotten into. So Paul writes this letter, 2 Thessalonians, to specifically address each of these problems. And that's what we've been going through over the course of the past few weeks. And each time he does, if you look at each chapter, it's very well broken down. Each chapter kind of addresses the problem, the challenge, and then closes with a prayer, Paul's prayer for that need. So in chapter one, the focus is that Paul is giving the church at Thessaloniki is hope in the midst of persecution. 
your faithfulness in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this time of trial, in the midst of this suffering, has been an example to other churches. And I want to remind you that the pain that you are going through is not in vain, and it will not last forever. Stay faithful. Persevere. Remain strong. And trust that the Lord Jesus, he will return at the proper time. And when he does, he will set everything right. And our prayer for you, our prayer for you in this moment is that the Lord gives you strength to endure and to live a life worthy of his calling. In chapter 2, Paul identifies their doubt and the struggles they're having. And that struggle and that doubt has come from the fact that there have been men who have come to the church preaching falsehood in Paul's name and telling them that Jesus has already returned and you missed it. You missed it. And when, and Paul's telling them that, guys, that's not true. In fact, when Jesus really does return, no one on earth will miss it. It will be so obvious that everyone will see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords return. So don't worry that you missed out on Jesus' return. Don't listen to these false teachings. Let me remind you of what his return might look like. And Andrew took us through a good bit of that last week. And with that in mind, my prayer for you is that you might stand firm and keep a strong grip on that which you've been taught from me. And that brings us to chapter 3. And that's what we're going through this morning. In chapter 3, as we're going to discuss in more detail in just a little bit, there is a specific problem that has arisen in the church amongst Christians who have believed that the end has already arrived. And so if you think about this idea that Paul is writing to, this problem Paul's writing to, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Paul is writing to this church to solve an interesting problem. How to teach and how to challenge people who believe that the end has come. And so as I shared earlier, I've been simulating that problem for about five days now. Don't forget, you're going to die. 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 Five times a day, random times during the course of the day, and meditating, however briefly, on that idea over the course of each day. And what it does is it changes your perspective on how you're living life right now. In particular, for me, just Almost every single time, just when that pop thoughts or when that thought comes in or when that uh, message pops up, I'm like, all right, this is a moment. This is a day God has made, right? Just being able to be appreciative and thankful. So we're going to dive in to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and see how Paul responds to people, to a church, to saints who have allowed thoughts about the end to affect how they're choosing to live in the moment. Now, 
Before we jump into that, I want to let you know, kids, I have not forgotten about you. So here's what I want you to do for the day. So I want you all to grab a sheet of paper, a blank sheet of paper that you're going to be able to draw on. And when you get this piece of paper, kids, I want you to draw a line down the middle, like this way. And on the left side, I want you to draw a picture of what you think death looks like. And don't let it make you sad. It's just a picture of what death looks like. And on the other side, I want you to draw a picture of what you think life looks like. Right? So line in the middle. On the left side, draw a picture of what you think death looks like. And on the right side, draw a picture of what you think life looks like. And I want you to work hard on it. And after you're done, parents, what I want you to do is take a picture of the picture and send that to awakenqna at gmail.com. If they've got their names on it, that'd be fantastic. But let's avoid putting any faces on. We're just going to take a picture of the picture, send it to awakenqna at gmail.com. And for those of you kids who have time to draw multiple pictures, I just want you to pick your best one and have your parents say, this is it. This is my best one. Take a picture, send it in. And if you do this well, right, I'm going to have a very special surprise for you at the end of service. So after the teaching time, we're going to go through your pictures, take a look at them and share some different thoughts on them. And I'm going to have a very cool surprise. Trust me, you will not want to miss it. So on that sheet of paper again, take it, line down the middle, what death looks like for you on the left side, what life looks like on the right side. Okay? All right, so you guys can get on that. And as the children are working on these pictures, brothers and sisters, for the rest of you, we are going to go through 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, turn there, and as we do so, we're going to discover this morning five pursuits that Paul is encouraging this besieged church to embrace. Now, I want you to write them down. Five pursuits that Paul is charging this besieged church to embrace. Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, reading through verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, if any of you guys are curious about that. It begins, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we commanded you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. The first pursuit, commitment to prayer. Commitment to prayer. Paul begins his final charge with prayer. Pray for us. Pray that God's message will run freely and be honored wherever it goes. Pray for rescue from wicked and evil people as well as from the evil one himself. Pray that we might have a full understanding of the love of God. Pray for patient endurance that comes from Christ. Pray, pray, pray. 
Most of you know, as part of Awaken, we've been embarking on this. Uh, we're in the midst of 21 days of fasting and prayer. Uh, Nathan and Dana Edwards are our prayer deacons at Awaken, and they've been leading our church into becoming more dependent upon Christ through the disciplines of prayer and the fast. And I have to tell you, I'm really proud of you all. It's, it's great hearing the stories of how uh, our people are committing to prayer, and even the occasional funny story that comes from, yeah, man, when we pray, just get a little grumpier on that day or during that time. And that's exciting, too, because what you're doing is you're expanding your prayer times, expanding this discipline, expanding your devotional lives. And sometimes, I know for me, prior to this season of, of prayer and fasting, I used to treat prayer like, uh, I could tend to treat prayer like doing homework, right? Uh, it's something that the teacher makes us do. Um, it might or might not be good for anything or, or account for anything. Uh, but those of us who do it, the reason why we do it is so we understand the subject better. In this case, the subject is Jesus. And even though that might be an interesting parallel, we all understand prayer is so much more than that, right? Prayer is not homework that we're obligated to do that might or might not count. It's, uh, it's the way we, in, prayer represents the way we engage in conversation with the God of the universe. It's our way of being with Jesus. Through prayer, we receive God's wisdom. Through prayer, we discover his character, his nature, and what he is like. Through prayer, we experience forgiveness. Through prayer, we encounter hope. Through prayer, we communicate with and experience a relationship with God. Pray, pray, pray. Discipline yourselves for prayer. Continue faithfully in prayer, church. Pursuit number two, observe the example of we have set for you. Observe the example we have set for you. Verses 6 through 10. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they received from us. For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Watch and learn. That's the message in, that Paul is communicating to the church in this passage. Watch and learn. So I shared earlier that uh, this past week we had the opportunity to celebrate my birthday. And uh, that was really cool. I had a day planned out. I, I played a number of games because I got some expansions to games I had, which is really fun. My kids tolerated me as, as you know, we played and I, I beat everyone. And then we had a chance to have dinner that night all together as a family, which my son actually paid for, which was amazing. And while we were sitting at the dinner table, 
uh, my wife decided to ask uh, our children to go around and to share one thing uh, or maybe their favorite thing that they've learned from dad. And uh, that really meant a lot to me because I'm a words of affirmation guy. And so my wife knows that. And so to hear my family share was just really encouraging. Uh, Danielle shared that, uh, and they did more, I'm just a quick summary. Danielle shared how she's encouraged that I taught her how to be a better person. So to let things go when you would much rather kill them and bury them instead, right? So that was really good. I'm like, go Danielle, that's a good Good thing to learn this early in life. Um, Isabel shared how I've been an example and have taught her to seek first to listen and understand people before you speak and certainly before you judge them. And she's just said that I've, I've learned that, Dad, of, from you, how to listen and understand people. And she said that skill has kept her from becoming a sociopath. So her words, not mine, which I also appreciated and said, yeah. That's a good lesson to learn young as well. Uh, Talia shared how my example has raised the bar for her on how men are supposed to treat women by the way that I treat my wife and even other, other women. And, and so for her, she said that because of that, I can feel at peace even if I'm not in a dating relationship because I, I want to be treated. I'm waiting for a guy who would treat me the way that dad treats mom. That was really moving as well. Uh, Josiah shared how he appreciates my unselfishness and how I want the best for others before myself. And so that was really moving too. Um, wow. So anyway, so obviously church, I knew my wife was going to do something like this and I paid my children beforehand to say those nice things, right? Uh, and I'm obviously not as good a person as my kids think I am, but I appreciate that they're still innocent enough to be fooled. But what was striking to me, even in listening to my kids, is that the thing that they admire about me, the things that they admired about me most, had nothing to do with what I bought for them, what I taught them, what I did for them. It had to do with the example that I set. They've been watching me. All these years, they've been watching me. And what I have the way I've lived life has spoken much more loudly than any message I've given. So this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the church at Thessaloniki. He's telling them, yeah, obey my teachings, yes. But even more so, follow the example that I set for you. Do what I did. Work hard to provide for yourself and for those that you're responsible for. And don't expect someone else to take responsibility for your life. And then, when that time does come, when Jesus truly does return, let him return to find you working faithfully at the things that he has called you to, the things he has commanded you to, and not find you idle. Pursuit number three, valuing gainful work. Valuing gainful work. Uh, verses 11 to 13, it says, Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. 
You know, the first time I went through 2 Thessalonians 3, my first read-through of it, um, my assumption from this passage is that the ones who were living idle lives were simply being lazy. And it was understandable uh, in some ways because their laziness was driven from the fact that they were being taught that Jesus has already returned. And they missed him. And it's like, well, if Jesus has already returned, he's already come back, then what's the point? What's the point of continuing to obey his commands? We've already missed him, right? And we just lost all motivation to work, lost all of our motivation to walk in obedience. And then as I went through this chapter uh, subsequently afterwards and going through it again and diving in a little bit deeper, realized that the idea of idleness goes beyond laziness. Idleness also included this idea of unruliness, of uh, being disorderly. And it wasn't that these idle people were simply avoiding work. It was also that they were in their boredom creating mischief and disrupting the lives of those around them. They were gossiping, they were bickering, they were poking at each other, and they were sticking their noses into other people's business. And that's what idleness does. Idleness is a two-sided blade. On one side, idleness hones in on the work that you're not doing, but people are counting on you to do. And then on the other hand, on the other side of it, it's being idle leads to harm that you're inflicting because you're bored. In the Greek, uh, when you're reading the, the um the way Paul speaks of it in, in Greek, the people who are not working and yet are busybodies. And so uh, Paul is using a play on words here with the idea that bi- these, uh, these people who are idle, they're busybodies who do no business. Busybodies who do no business. And so Paul observes this. He speaks against it. And then he commands them in the name of Jesus, guys, settle down and work. Do your job. Do your part. Because Paul understands that gainful work acts as a guard against people being idle busybodies. Be productive. And then he speaks to one more group. He says, and then for the rest of you, I know that you're doing a great job. I know that you're continuing to work and be productive. You need to help the idle. You need to stop indulging the busybodies. Stop listening to their gossip. Stop arguing with them over stupid things. Make your focus doing good. And part of doing good is to avoid the manipulations and to avoid the distractions of the idol. Valuing gainful work. So pursuit number four. Isolate yourselves from the defiant. Isolate yourselves from the defiant. We know a bit about isolation now, don't we? Verses 14 and 15. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother and sister. So Paul here gives some specifics of how you are to deal with not just the idol, but those who are refusing to do otherwise. Those who are being defiant to the commands of Jesus and saying, you know what? Don't tell me what God wants. I'm going to do whatever I want. 
These are the ones, these are the Christians that Paul is speaking to. And he's saying that for those who are being defiant and rebellious, isolate yourselves from them in hopes of bringing them to a place of shame. Recognizing that shame is a powerful tool to help change future behavior. So growing up, I was, uh, for the most part, a really good kid. Uh, didn't cause a lot of trouble uh, for my parents, for my teachers, for anyone, really. Uh, and then something happened in fifth grade. Uh, for those of you who remember elementary school, you used to have recess. And uh, so we had recess. And at our school, we had this huge field. And then we had this playground, this uh, concrete, not concrete, it was just uh, black um, playground area that had basketball courts that had lines that you could play you know different games on but there was this um this area that was uh taped off there's a section that was taped off they had redone the pavement and uh they didn't want anyone uh, going over there and so um a few of my friends decided well hey we wanted to go take a look and so they were over there and they're getting ready to cross the the taped off area and they one of them looked at me and it's like hey frank come on and so I was like, all right. So I went ahead and I joined them and we crossed the line and we just kind of poking at it, looking at it, touching it with our toes. And then we heard this shout from behind us and it was our teacher. And uh, he told us to, to come out and he called us out. Uh, after recess was done, he called us into the classroom and he made us stand in front of the classroom, the, all four of us. We had to stand in front of the classroom and we had our arms outstretched and we had to do squats in front of the class. And uh, while everyone else was doing homework and he was sitting at his desk and he said, continue to keep your arms outstretched and do squats until I tell you you're done. I remember, I mean, vividly remember that uh, it just stands out in my mind. I was humiliated, uh, so I was flush and embarrassed. Um, and then he had us go on for a long time. It felt like hours, but I know it couldn't have been that long. My legs were sore. They started to shake. I was sweating and it was sweating through my shirt and it was just humiliating. And then when I was looking out at my classmates, most of them, they didn't want to look at you, right? They're, they weren't looking at me. They were kind of looking down at their work, trying to avoid eye contact. And the couple that really did look at us were just kind of smirking, you know? And uh, finally, when the teacher said, okay, you can go ahead and have a seat. I finally sat down and I just kept my head down. I didn't look at anyone. I didn't talk to anyone the rest of the day. I just want to get out of school as fast as I could, get home and forget the whole thing happened. Share that story because that's what shame does, right? It causes you to want to isolate and when others isolate from you as well. And uh, it helps correct future behavior. That's one of the things that shame accomplishes it, uh, accomplishes. And, and I know what that feels like. I, I'm Chinese. I grew up in a Chinese family. My, my parents used that tool on occasion. Uh, your parents might have done so as well. We should be pretty familiar with the idea of shame as a tool to correct future behavior because the media uses it all the time. Social media, social shaming. Uh, a lot of times the way the media does it is by using mean words and saying that by your actions, you are now considered homophobic, intolerant, a bigot. And the idea is we want to ostracize you or embarrass you or humiliate you uh, until you conform. And so we're all very familiar with this idea that shame can be used as a tool to influence future behavior. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's very effective. 
What's really interesting is when you read the scriptures, God doesn't use shame very often as a tool. He does. I mean, even in the book of Genesis, shame is used. But Paul, in his letters, avoids using it uh, very often. Throughout the New Testament, the way Paul motivates people to action, tries to change their behavior in the present and in the future, is by, or to get uh, the church to walk in obedience, is to use commands, encouragement, exhortation, stories. He pleads with the church. He cries out for the church. He prays for the church to repent and to walk in obedience. Paul rarely uses the tool of shame. And even when he does, oftentimes it's subtle. So it'd be like, why would you listen to that teacher teaching you false things when I've been like a father to you? I've laid my life down for you. I'm suffering for your sake. Why would you listen to them when I'm right here, right? That's a form of shame. It's very subtle, but that's the tool that's being used. But here in this passage, Paul isn't being subtle. He's saying overtly, I want shame to be a tool that brings these stubbornly defiant people to repentance, because every other form of encouragement that we've been using has not been successful. And they now need to be more forcibly humbled. And so Paul charges the faithful ones in the church. He says, guys, I know this might not be comfortable or convenient, but stay away from them. Avoid them. Don't continue to be polite and don't coddle or tolerate their bad behavior any longer. As long as you coddle them, they're going to continue to do it. At the same time, Paul reminds them, they're not your enemies. So don't treat them that way. They're your brothers and sisters. And what we're doing is we're using this behavior of avoiding them to warn them, not to destroy them, to make them realize that their continued idleness and busybody behavior isn't acceptable in our Christian community. It's tearing our community apart. It's dividing us and we cannot tolerate that. What you're doing in being idle, busybodies, is not acceptable, not anymore. And if you persist in this rebellious behavior, if you continue in your defiance, then you're not welcome in Christian community. And finally, that takes us to the close of this chapter and the book, for that matter. With the final pursuit, pursuit number five, devote yourselves to peace. Devote yourselves to peace. Verses 16 through 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. I do this in all my letters to prove they are from me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul's final charge is that I'm praying for you that the Lord will give you peace. The reason why he has that second statement in there, the second sentence in there, is because it, with many of Paul's letters, one of uh, the guys, the men that he, one of his brothers traveling with him would actually write what Paul was dictating. And yet they were his words, and to authenticate them, he signs it. He says, this is my handwriting to let you know that I am authenticating. These are my words and my teachings from Christ to you. During the American Civil War, 
uh, there was a soldier who'd experienced a significant family tragedy. And so this Union soldier petitioned and was given permission to seek a hearing from the president of the United States at the time, Abraham Lincoln. And what he wanted to request was an exemption from military service. Unfortunately, when he finally arrived at the White House, he was turned away and uh, was not allowed to see the president. There were some things that were going on and the president was not available. And so depressed, he went across the way to a park at a bench and he just sat depressed. And while he was there, a young boy happened to walk by, saw this soldier looking down, dejected, and asked him what was wrong. And the soldier remarkably just started sharing his story and the whole story poured out of him. And he just shared his struggles with this young boy. And after he was done, the boy looked at him and, and stood up and said to the soldier, come on, follow me. And the young boy started to walk back towards the White House, but instead of going in the front, he went around the back way and was taking this soldier around the back. And there were some guards at the back gate as well, but the boy was just able to walk right through the gate and the soldier just followed him. They actually went into the White House together and as they were walking through the White House, there were other government officials that saw them. Some of them stood up straighter as the boy was passing by and the soldier continued to follow him. And then as they entered into the White House area and entered into the presidential office, instead of knocking, this young boy simply opens the door and walks into the presidential office where President Abraham Lincoln is there talking to the Secretary of State. And as the boy walks in with the soldier following behind, Abraham Lincoln turns and looks and sees this young boy and he says, what can I do for you, Tad? And Tad replied, Dad, this soldier he needs to talk to you. The soldier now had access to the president of the United States through the son. That's the truth of our relationship with God as Christians, isn't it? As Paul shares in an earlier book, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, he says that we as Christians through, now have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of what the son has done. Did you catch that? We as Christians have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of what the Son has done. And that is a truth that we can cling to forever. And you can trust this truth because it's spoken to us through Christ, preached to us through a trusted messenger. And that's what Paul says is, I am that trusted messenger. I signed this letter with my own hand so that you know that the message you have received is reliable. And this is what I'm praying for you, that the God of peace would grant you peace. In a few moments, we're going to have, uh, we're going to go through the pictures that you guys, uh, that you young kids are sending in. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and parents take a picture of their best picture and go ahead and send it in to awakenqna at gmail.com. And I'm looking forward to getting to that in a little bit and to our little surprise. And as you're doing that, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of final thoughts. The heart of 2 Thessalonians and the heart of Paul in writing this letter is to comfort a people, to comfort a church that was feeling under siege. They put their hope in Jesus 
And then along comes these false teachers who, in Paul's name, tell them that Jesus has already come and you missed him. Can you imagine how they must have felt to hear that message that everything we've been hoping for, what we put our trust in, what we put our faith in, Jesus has already returned and we missed it. Everything that we've been putting our hope in has now been stripped away. Everything that we were counting on is now gone. We thought the kingdom of God was going to look this way, and now it hasn't, and I'm left feeling disillusioned. And they felt like giving up. This is what the, the idea is that, that, uh, that we felt like what we were doing, what we've been doing in our faithfulness and obedience just doesn't matter anymore. And some of them decided there's no point to even working anymore either. I think we can understand that feeling, can't we? In, in some small way. It's really interesting when we were preparing for this series, we actually outlined the entire, all the teachings for the trimester back in December. And back in December, we had no idea what life was going to look like in April. And even at the time, was thinking the idea of, man, Second Thessalonians seems like a bit of an odd message to be sharing with our church because it is focusing on this idea of persecution. But at the time, it's like the economy's going well. It looks like life is going pretty well. But under persecution, under trial, finding comfort. That was the idea of Second Thessalonians. And again, who would have thought, right, that we would be where we are today, little knowing the circumstances that we're in right now. And so praise God. He knew, but, and for us, we trusted that God's word is eternal. And we trusted that in sharing God's word and God's heart, it was going to have an impact, little knowing how things were going to play out in April. And so many of you have, uh, maybe some of you have noticed that over the course of this morning, uh, I've, I've chosen to teach without talking about the pan elephant in the room. And I hope none of you mind uh, I just thought that maybe we could, uh, what we all wanted, or, or just maybe being able to take a short break uh, from having that be the center point of our conversation would be a bit refreshing, and instead just kind of focusing on what God might want to speak, encourage, or teach us through Second Thessalonians chapter 3. So as we close out, I want to review the points from this morning, five habits to pursue in the midst of difficult times, right? Commit to prayer. Observe the example that we have set for you. Value gainful work. Isolate yourselves from the defiant and devote yourselves to peace. I hope this ends up being very memorable for you all. And uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our pictures and our Q&A time. I promised you a bit of a surprise, so here's my surprise, kids, for you. Um, I realize that I'm very underqualified to be able to kind of give great feedback on all these pictures because I don't have an artistic bone in my body. So I decided to bring up alongside me the best encourager and evaluator that I know. Her name is Gisela Liu. She is my wife and she is the most gifted encourager in the world. So come on in. Yay! <laughs> so with that, we're going to, uh, oh. to take a look at what you guys have sent us this morning. Oh my, oh my goodness. God, Go Caitlin Dubay. 
I like the red being death and the blue being life. This is like Marvel superhero. This is like Spider-Man and Superman and yeah. exciting and clear. Good job, Caitlin. Very, very good. Oh and my look gosh. at the X's over those eyes. I know. That's my favorite part. Yeah, I know. They are very clearly dead. Yeah. And Wicked I'm glad, witch dead. I'm glad you put the streak across because if you put spikes, I would have thought that was me. So <laughs> cool. Thanks, Caitlin. Appreciate that one. Uh, Helena. Oh, uh, hi, death, Helena. Death is a dark circle. I thought that's very pointy. Death is a prune, y'all. Yeah, it is bad. That is fantastic. Life is a pruny bottom <laughs> um, and and fun eyes. So I like that picture of that. life. I it's love It's fun. Life. It's carefree. It's I lively. know. And the eyes are so big and yes. happy. That's Yay. perfect, Helena. Thank you. Thanks, Helena. Great job. Uh, Clara. <laughs> wow. Hey, wait. Clara. All right. Clara, I, that's, you are gifted. You yeah. are anointed. Actually, you know what? That doesn't look like spikes. It looks like a, a bun. So maybe it's like Talia or they, something instead of me. Right? Okay, maybe not. So, but the heart, the heart that's... Dun, 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 oh, that's fruity. I love how death, there are things coming out of the body. Yeah. That's super biblical because Leviticus says the life is in the blood. Yes. And all the blood is out. In the death side, That's so true. smelliness happens. <laughs> you nailed it so biblically. Good. But I like the life picture. It's a house. It's a barbecue. Check <gasps> no. that out. You know what life is, y'all? That is the Shire. Yeah. That is where Sam Wise is living out his life. Yeah. Man, cool. go That's Clara. Super, I'm super excited. Nice. That's a great picture. Next is. Uh, oh man. Who is Get that? out of town. That's you guys Chris went Christopher, Christopher. You went biblical, boy. That's a fantastic job. Those Hopkins kids. Death on the cross. They're so godly. Seriously. They're going to run this church in a few years. Uh, Sorry, Frank. Maybe already have. So <laughs> that's very cool. Do. So he is risen. Wow. He is risen indeed. Great job, Christopher. That's a beautiful picture. Wow. So I, I love like it. the planet. And so, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love this kid. There's a lot of red in this one. It's a that's a messy crime scene right I there. I love this like CSI yeah. situation. Especially since the dress was so colorful Look and yet smeared all Is over. Is that the serial killer yeah, on the desk? Probably. Um Smoking a pipe, it looks like, too. A purple pipe. And then, yes, this is a girl. I'm assuming this is, a, maybe it's a resurrection picture instead of a before Maybe after, it is. Yeah. I'm going to say she that. She is back alive and has cleaned the house. And the serial killer is And gone. you know what? Like, death, it's not just death. It's confusion. Oh, yeah. So this Absolutely. is deep. I don't know who did that. Oh, and we're on to the Caleb. next one. Okay. Nice, Aww. buddy. Oh, that's a cross. That's Look Steve's and that. the two thieves. Great job, Caleb, buddy. And another then, Hopkin kid. Yeah. Katie you know really Scott, cool? good job, y'all. Very, very good. <laughs> and you, it's like life Aww. isn't just one person. It's like surrounded mm. by people. That's also life, too. Thanks, Caleb. Great job. Uh, Corbin! Oh, my gosh. I miss you. Oh, wow. I miss the so, Roberts kids. So uh, death is, is lines and curves mm -hmm. and a little wow. bit of sun, but a little shady moon. Do you too. see the life in the yellow in the streets of gold? He's yeah. crossing his arms like a resurrected gangster. Yeah. He's like, I'm alive, y'all. Yes. And Jesus Corbin. approves. Well done, well done. Corbin. <laughs> we'll be thuggy in oh, heaven Oh, I love this. This is so symmetrical. Yeah. This is beautiful. It's nice contrast. Very and good. And it's so clear. Yeah. Death is black and you're down. Life is golden and you're up and happy. Very well cool. That's what is he so doing good. in the corners? Don't worry about it. Oh, sorry. Go Noah. <laughs> Great job. Cool. Oh, good job. Uh, Who is this? Trip? Trip. Oh my 
my gosh, I miss the Kirks. Oh, I love gotcha. you guys. So death is surfing. Death is on on flames. On fires. Oh, he is burning. It is That's Frodo true. at Mordor. Yeah. Well, Frodo survives that one. So, but he's hanging on the cliffs. That's true. We just Smeagol. saw Lord of the Rings. Smeagol. Smeagol. Okay, yes. that's Smeagol. This is like the moment before mm -hmm. death. So that's that's interesting. Death, the realization. I love of, it. And, and then, it's hanging over him, the death. Yes. Good job. Life is over here. I like how Trip put his name on the life side. That's yeah, Trip, you are so sharp, Convenient. buddy. All right, moving on. Oh, I love that. Oh, Jocelyn. <gasps> Jocelyn! Hey, Josie. Has... I know. She's literally wipe him out. <laughs> there Life. <he> is. <sighs> There is no question. No. <laughs> Everybody on that side is dead. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I like the life, though. They got, they got these shocked expressions on their faces. Maybe it's resurrection because, like, they were dead and they're brought to life. They're like, what just happened here? Resurrection and superpowers Amen. after the supernova. I see what you did there, Jocelyn. Good Great job. Great job, Josie. And then Seth. Seth. Oh, Seth. I love your watercoloring pictures, Seth. I know. Meister. So very, very cool. It's oh. a mountain. You decide to merge death and life. But no, I appreciate you know that you've got is? life on the right side. Death is nothing. There's nothing in death. Oh, yeah. It's all about life, Seth. I see what Great you job. did there. Yep. Well done. Well done. Rainbow, River of life. Indeed. Mm. Oh. Ooh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's dark. I love it. It's dark nothing. Death. There's a little bit of red in there. Is there? Yeah, just a scope. Oh, maybe a little bit. But that's well, okay. Oh, also it's horns. Ooh, that's so creepy. Yeah. That is a little creepy. Literally, death in hell where you can't see anything, but yes. the devil's still there. That's Amen. fantastic. And then life is colorful, vibrant, awesome. Great job. I want to live cool. there. Yeah. Next. Ooh, Robbie. Robbie. Oh, my gosh. The do baby. Oh, my very, goodness. Very, cool. I love so, you, Robbie. I love his unique take on it that mm. life and death kind of cross lines. Yeah. It's and, exciting. Uh, yeah. Exciting. And you know what? But on life side, that's where you see the person. That's right. Because there are no people on the death side. That's yeah, just well, how it goes. Well, there are just corpses. But they're dead. Okay, right. fine. Sorry. Fine. Corpse? Do you know that You word? said no. you weren't an expert, Frank. Sorry, I'm not That's what I'm here. I'm awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate it, <laughs> wife. We Nailed it. But, you know. I don't want to be succumbing to temptation. So anyway, awesome. let me wrap now. up with a few announcements and then we will wrap up our time. Thank you guys, all of you who took the time to send in your pictures. That was amazing. They were all colorful and beautiful and fantastic. And you guys rock. So uh, a number of announcements and I apologize. I know that over the course of uh, the past few weeks, while we've been solely streaming, our announcements have gotten a bit long. But uh, there's a lot to communicate, so I appreciate you guys staying on board with us. Uh, for those of you who received and read our partner update, you might know that our church has been partnering with the Forgotten Initiative. Uh, we have a number of times providing parents' night out where we're watching foster kids while foster parents get a chance just to be released for a date. Um, but with the whole quarantine and isolation bit, the challenge has escalated, especially for foster parents who uh, were not anticipating this to happen. So normally, in, in the course of a day, a foster parent would send their kids to school. They get different, uh, they get care from different professionals, and mostly it'd be the evenings that they would be spending together. And now these foster parents are spending 24/7 with their foster kids, and it has been quite the challenge. And I know some of us might be thinking, "Well, that's what you signed up for," but man, really, it is exponentially increased the difficulty um, 
of having foster kids in your home. And so as a church, we want to partner with the Forgotten Initiative to do, instead of a PNO, Parents' Night Out, it's going to be a PNI, Parents' Night In. And so we're partnering to take a zip code in Jacksonville, uh, and all of the foster parents in that zip code, which is usually around about 10 or so, uh, will receive a basket from us to encourage them and refresh them. And we'll fill the basket um, with different games, some gift cards to grocery stores, some wipes, and different items that they might need in order to be able to get them through this time. So, Awaken Nights, I want to ask you guys to please consider jumping in and helping us out. Our estimation is that we want to, uh, uh, each basket to be about $100 worth of things in it. So if we do math real quick, that's about $1,000 or so that we need to raise. And so what we want to ask our saints is, would you be willing to contribute anywhere from $25 up to $100 um, to uh, our Forgotten Initiative, um, the PNI? Uh, and we need that to come in in the next couple of weeks so we can turn around. And if there are some of you who want to even volunteer to help purchase items, put the baskets together, and then deliver them to the different foster families. We're still going to run through social distancing and run through things appropriately. We're going to package very carefully. But if you are up for giving or volunteering, uh, if you could please contact Stephanie Roberts. And for those of you who want to give, give online. Just go to our website Give online, click on the here tab, and that'll take you to our giving page. On the giving page, when you write in the amount that you give, make sure you hit the drop down to the right side and indicate either benevolence or PI, and that will make sure that the money's directed to the right place. So I'm excited about the opportunity our church has to be a part of this. You'll hear a few more announcements uh, in the coming week, but if you guys could start thinking about and praying about that, that would be fantastic. And obviously, if you're in a really tight place or tough spot, Feel free to uh, let us know your needs as well. We definitely want to minister to our church first as we can. Send your a request or your need or the challenges that you're facing to awakenchurchprayer at gmail.com along with your prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you too. Uh, another announcement will be next week, next Wednesday night, we're going to be having a town hall meeting. Uh, for those of you who've been with our church for a while, you know what our town hall meetings are. They're time that we kind of update our church on where we are. We're probably going to avoid the church plant 2020 conversation this time through, but we will be sharing on where our church is at and how we're planning to roll out uh, reinstituting our public service. Uh, so we're going to run it very much like our Sunday service time. So it'll be on YouTube. It'll be running live. There'll be a comments bar where if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, go ahead and put them in the comment bar and we'll respond to you and dialogue with you in real time. So uh, it's only going to be about 30 minutes, 45 minutes long. So if you guys have a chance to tune in uh, this coming Wednesday, town hall meeting starting at around 7 o'clock p.m. We'll give you a bit more information as we go this week. Finally, um, this week is the last week of fasting for those of you who've been going through our, our 21 days. So continue to persevere and continue to trust God for breakthrough. I find that oftentimes in, during my fasting seasons or periods, the, the first day or so, or in this case, the first week, is really about just adjusting to this habit and discipline, 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 discipline ourselves to deal with the hunger, set our eyes on Jesus. Week two is like, all right, now we just need to persevere. And week three is oftentimes for me, it's like, okay, this is breakthrough. Uh, this is the week that we kind of get a chance to experience God coming through as we've been faithful with the fast. So I want you to continue to persevere, stand firm. And then next Sunday, Nathan and Dana Edwards are going to close out 
this 21 days of fasting with our worship service. We're going to do some really unique things that I think are going to be exciting, that, uh, an exciting way to engage during our worship service. So I want to encourage all of you to tune in and expect a little bit uh, of a different type of service next week. So persevere. I'm excited. I'm encouraged by you guys. Uh, ministry leaders, we do have a Zoom call at noon today, so coming up about 10 minutes, so be sure to tune in there. And saints, I'm grateful for you, love you all, and uh, let me close out in a quick word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your tremendous goodness and grace. Thank you that you were good, and you were good all the time. And we thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to go through 2 Thessalonians and to be able to worship, to be able to seek you, God, to be able to know you prayerfully better than we do. And even more so to know that you are alive, to know that you are real, to experience your comfort and your love towards us. And Jesus, I pray that there would be none of us, none of, no one out there who's listening, no, no Christian, no believer who would not be experiencing the fullness of your presence and the wonder of your comfort and joy during this time, during this, this season of trial. And I just pray that you continue to give us tremendous grace. I pray for any who might be sick, for you to be our Jehovah Rapha, our healer and restorer, God. For any who are discouraged, that you would be the lifter of our heads and our faces, God. That we would set our eyes on you. For those of us who are struggling financially, that you would be our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And uh, that we can trust that you, God, are sufficient for all of our needs. We love you, praise you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Saints, have a fantastic day and week, and we'll see you here next week.